You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Today I'm going to challenge you to do something that for some of you is going to seem incredibly difficult to do. It's not something that comes easily to us. It's not something that comes naturally to us. And uh, it's especially challenging if we're going to do it consistently and genuinely. But we are called to do it. And it's, it's a, to me, it's a clear application of the scripture text that we're going to read this morning. Today, I'm going to challenge you to genuinely and truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ. To love them genuinely with deep affections. Now, for some, you hear that and you're like, well, that doesn't sound too hard. I, I love my church family. I, I feel so at home here. And I, I mean, you know, the, the best people in the world in my life are, are other believers. And I mean, that's, that's just, you're talking about difficult. That's, this is phenomenal. I, I'm eager to do that. I'm doing it right now. In fact, stop preaching so I can just show them how much I love them. And some of you, for some of you hear that this morning, in this moment, in this time, you're like, you know, that just doesn't sound that difficult. The challenge, though, as you know, is for some of you, you know, it's to do it consistently continuously to persist in loving each other. You see, the reality is, is in our life life together in Christ, there are times in which our fellowship, our love is tested. We go through seasons, we go through situations where our affections for each other are really uh, really tested and tried. And uh, there's some times in which, yeah, okay, it's easy to love. There's other times when it can be more difficult. Now, for some of you this morning, when I talk about loving your brothers and sisters, that, that lands on you as something that seems in the moment easy. For others of you, though, I say that, and immediately it sounds like something hard. Because when it comes to other Christians, some of you have been burned by Christians. You've been burned by the church. You've been mistreated. You've been judged. You've been overlooked. You put trust in other people who profess to be Christians, and that trust was broken. <clears throat> You've experienced conflict. You've gone through division in church. You've seen people hurt badly by people who profess to love Jesus. And so I talked to you about the challenge to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and your quiet response to me is, no, I don't want to. Give me a different set of brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'll think about it. But I'm not sure that I'm down with that. Well, the reality is, is that the, the Bible is the Word of God, And God makes really clear in his words that you and I don't have really a choice in the matter about what we're going to do in terms of the expectation. We have a choice in the matter of how we're going to respond. But the scriptures are actually quite clear that we are to love one another. And I would say to you that that is really crystal clear in our text today. It's it's, it's no exception. The question, of course, is how do you do it? How do you do it? Because most of us here know there are at least, at least there are times when it's difficult. And some of us would say it's, it, some of you would say, you know, it's often difficult to do it genuinely, persistently, to love my brothers and sisters. So how do I do it? How do I cultivate a love for my church family, a true love, true affections for my church family? How do I do that which is sometimes incredibly difficult to do? Well, our scripture text today, I think, not only challenges us to do it, but gives us some insight into how. 
And I'd like you to join me there, please, in Philippians chapter 1. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. The title of the message today is Loving with the Affection of Jesus. Jesus. All, all God's people agree that Jesus is pretty good when it comes to love. All right, so who better to learn from than Jesus? In fact, we're going to see more than that. We're going to find out that the affections that we have uh, are very much from him, or the affections that we're to show are going to come from him. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Got the Philippians chapter 1. This is message number 2 in our teaching series through the book of Philippians. We're just calling it to live as Christ. It's one of the, one of the central, most well-known, well-loved phrases in the book of Philippians that I would suggest to you in many ways kind it captures the heart of the book. It's about living for Christ. It's about what your life looks like when Christ is at the center. There's a heavy emphasis on sanctification. There's a heavy emphasis in uh, the book of Philippians on the, the advance of the gospel. So to live as Christ have to, has to do with my sanctified living for him. Also has to do with the preaching of Christ and being on mission for him. And for me, that, that combination of things, to me, seems like a great place to start as, as I begin my time here with you at my life here at Harvest, and as we launch into a new season here in our church this fall. So Philippians, and if you know, we'll talk a little bit later on today about some of the background of Philippians, but of course, if you know much about the book, you know that uh, it was the, the occasion for Paul writing it was, was that uh, Epaphroditus had come and visited him in jail from the church at Philippi. And Epaphroditus was going back now to his home church in Philippi, and it was, that was the occasion for Paul writing this letter. He wrote this letter. He's like, wait, before you go, I got some things I want to say to your church. And so he wrote this letter and tucked it in Epaphroditus' pocket, and Epaphroditus went back and brought to them the, church, the, the book of Philippians, which begins like this. Let's read from verse 1 of chapter 1. We're going to focus on verses 7 and 8, but I'll read from verse 1 just for fun. Paul and Timothy, because Timothy was with Paul, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you, God's word is grace to us, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with Here's the line, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Make a note of this. Uh-oh, that sounds like application coming. That was really timely. Uh-oh, church, get ready. Make a note of this. What we ought to feel for each other is deep affection. 
What we ought to feel for each other is deep affection. Deep affection, love, passionate, genuine love, deep affection. Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way. Do you see that in verse 7? It is right. It's just. It's fitting. It's, it's appropriate. It is right for me to feel this way about you. How do, how do you feel about your fellow believers? How do you feel about your church family? Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Well, how does Paul feel about them? Well, back in verse 3, he was thankful for them. He's thankful for them. Verse 4, he prayed with joy. So how did he feel about them? He felt thankful. He felt joyful. Verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How does he feel about them? He feels confident about them, about the reality of their sanctification, their security in Christ. He feels thankful. He feels joyful. He feels confident. And then verse 8, he, he summarizes what it is that he feels about them. God is my witness how I yearn for you all. I love that. How I yearn for you. I yearn for you all with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So if you yearn for someone, you have, you have a longing for them, right? A, a longing, a, a passionate longing. Sometimes we see this word used in the New Testament, and it's referred, it's used in the sense of like, I'm longing to see you. I yearn to be with you. And for people who've been through stuff like, something like COVID, right? I mean, that, that, that can come alive to us maybe a little more than it otherwise would have. And you think of dear family and loved ones who you haven't seen much of, you're missing, and COVID's kind of kept you apart. How you yearn for people. Tomorrow we're going to be with family that we haven't been together, all of us, since Christmas of 2019. So that, like, there, there's a yearning there. There's, there's a longing there. You can relate to that. But he says, I yearn for you, verse 8. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection there speaks of, in antiquity, just speaks of the, the seat of, the, of your emotions. It, it kind of means your, your bowels, if we were to take it literally. That sounds kind of like not right, but, but like the deepest part of you, we would say from the depths of my heart. I've got, I, I feel for you. I, how do I feel about you? You're, you're in my heart, in the depths of my heart. To put it simply, Paul is saying, I love you. I, I love you. When you look at your church family, do you say that? I love you. We ought to, what we ought to feel for each other is deep affection. Notice how he calls God as his witness, verse 8. Do you see that at the beginning of the verse? For God is my witness. I love that. It's like, you know, I'd be okay, people tell, people tell you, you say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. No, God is my witness. God knows that I love you. It's like serious. This is serious love, isn't it? It's not taken lightly. He means it. It might sound easy to say, oh, I love God's people. But Paul says, God knows that it's true. With God as your witness, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? This kind of love is consistent with what the Bible singles out as in the New Testament as the most important thing we're to do. That is to love one another. Am I wrong? Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is that you love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus speaking to his disciples, told his disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What will, what will mark you as my disciples? If you love one another, if you love one, it's the supreme mark of a follower of Jesus. It marks you off. Paul told the Thessalonian believers, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Taught by God to love one another. God is at work teaching us to love each other. We see this, we see this again and again and again, the emphasis on love in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, we're told to pursue love. Colossians 3 and 14, we're told to wear it, like be clothed in it. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 12 says we're to increase and abound in love. Philippians 2, 2, we'll get to it, Lord willing, soon enough, we're to be united by it. 1 Peter 4, 8 says that we are to be fervent in it. Hebrews 10 and 24 says we're to stimulate each other to show it. Nothing is more central to our Christian character and conduct than love. Let me say that again. Nothing is more central to our Christian character and conduct than love. We ought to show each other, we ought to show each other affection. We ought to feel for each other deep affections. I want to ask you this morning, do you grasp how central love is, love particularly for your church family? Do you understand how central that is? Notice I didn't say exclusively. We're to love your neighbor. That can have broad application in terms of the people that God puts in our lives. We're to love the lost. We're to love the world. Not like love the world, but love the people in the world. You know what I mean? But especially to love your church family. It's one thing to understand. It's one thing to say, yeah, that sounds true, and yet you got lots of Bible to back that up. But it's another, thing, it's another thing to grasp that. And it's another thing to feel that for your brothers and sisters. Far too often we, are, we find ourselves saying, I love my church family, but our hearts are not in it. And I'm so struck by how, how Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. It's not enough for me just to confess that love is important, but to to do it. And then he calls God as his witness that it's true. If you and I were to go to ancient Philippi, to a Sunday service, take a survey and ask them, is love important? They'd probably all say yes. Is love central to our character and conduct? They'd probably all say yes. Is love the great command? Yes. Is love crucial? Is love like the most important thing? Yes. Are we nothing without it? Yes. And yet, if you went to Philippi and you read Philippians, which we will, we'll see that while it was a healthy church, it wasn't a perfect church. You know why it wasn't perfect? Because there was people in it. And some of these people thought differently about some things. And disagreed with each other. Now, I mean, we're not like that, right? We agree with about everything, don't we? In fact, you read, you read chapter 2 of Philippians, and you see that Paul, the, he seems quite aware that there's conflict in this church. Because he addresses the heart issues of addressing, of overcoming conflict, of dealing with 
internal dissension within the church. And then you come to chapter 4 and you find that two prominent women in the church were in an open, ugly fight. So much so, he calls on some unnamed person to help them sort it out. And he pleads with them. See, you could take the survey of the church at Philippi as love important. They'll say, oh yeah, of course it's really important. But we recognize, of course, that we can know that love is essential, but struggle to truly believe that. We can agree that love is primary, but excuse our lack of it. It occurs to me that we can tell others that love is the most important thing and at the same time show little of it. How do you feel about other believers? How do you feel about the people in this local church where you belong? What's right is for you and I to feel deep affections for each other. So when we hear that, we can see that. But now is the question, okay, pastor, how do I do that? Because I don't do great at making myself feel rightly. That's, that's hard. I mean, I can do rote things. Tell me to say something and I'll say it. Tell me to do something and I'll do it. But for my heart to be in it, to feel something about other believers, I, I, I find myself very weak in that category. And maybe you do too. So how do we do it? When it doesn't come naturally, when it's sometimes not easy, how do we get this kind of love? Where do we get this love from? Well, I think Paul tells us. I wonder if you noticed. Did you notice verse 8? Where does Paul say this love comes from? Did you notice what he says? God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, you, you could read this verse and say, it sounds like it's like I have like affections like Jesus for you. But my sense, I, I, think that's, I think that's like one step down from what Paul is saying here. I think it's, it's not only talking about loving you like Jesus, but affections like Christ. I think these affections that Paul's talking about, I think what he means is that these, these affections, this feeling of love that he has for the Philippians is from Christ. It comes from him. It's Christ's love that he's given to me for you. I think that's what Paul means here. With the affections of Christ Jesus. And I say that because, I mean, the things that Paul was rejoicing in, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, are as a result of the work of Christ in Philippi. And being partakers of grace together, we'll talk about that in a moment, but being partakers of grace together, that's from Christ. So I think these affections that Paul feels for the believers is from Christ Jesus. And I want to say, loved ones, that this is key for you and I if we're to really love one another. That the source of our affections is Christ Jesus himself. How will you ever love your church family genuinely, consistently, persistently? You will love them as Christ enables you to love him, them. You will love them with the love that Jesus gives you for them. And that's how you'll love me too. The source of our affection is Christ Jesus. Paul says, I yearn for you all, verse 8. I yearn for you all with the affection, with the, from the depths of my heart, with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a love given to him 
by the Lord himself. It's important for us to recognize that this being the case, the love that we have for each other is different from the kind of love that the world knows. Because the love that God gives us for our church family is supernaturally given. It comes from Christ. And in Christ, we, we, we abide in his love. And as we abide in his love, he, he, he enables us and empowers us to love one another. Listen to 1 John 4 verse 7. It says this. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. It's from God. So love one another. <laughs> Great. There's a handful of people, no problem. But there's some other people, I got a problem. Because... I have a hard time loving them because we're so different. We think differently and we, we see things differently. And I mean, it's just, I know I shouldn't be like this, but in my quietness of my heart, I struggle to even like them, let alone love them. Beloved, let us love one another. <laughs> How, John? How, Paul? For love is from God. <gasps> God will enable me to love them. The love that I have for my church family comes, doesn't originate in me, but it originates in Jesus. And whoever loves, John says, has been born of God and knows God. So you see, what I, remember I talked about this supernatural thing? Being born of God is to be born again. That's to be regenerate. You go from being dead to being alive. You see one of the primary fruits of being regenerate? is that you love your church family. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So how are you going to love your church family, loved one? You're, you're going to love them because God will enable you to. Because Jesus will give you the love, a love that you and I don't naturally have. He gives us. I was thinking about this, thinking, trying to figure out how to illustrate this. And I, I, it just when you unpack things, when you move, it's amazing the things you find that you've kept. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that we, that we've, we found in there. We found, like, we dug up some old yearbooks this year. Brett was over. Brett and I went to school together for a year back in our previous life, and we were digging up old pictures. We haven't changed a bit, actually, and, and um, lying, lying. But anyway, something that Leanne found, I don't know where you found it. It was in a box somewhere or something. Anyway, she found the receipt from her engagement ring that I, I bought, and I got a receipt from the engagement ring, and that I bought for her. I won't tell you how, tell you how much it was. It wasn't, as far as engagement rings go, it wasn't that much money, but it brought back a great memory that I have of my father. My, my father died a couple years ago, and just brought back a great memory of him that we were heading out to meet this jeweler. This jeweler <clears throat> was a very kind man. He's a believer, and, and uh, he agreed to meet with us after the store closed. He's like, you can just come and take all the time you want and look around and make a decision together. And um, by the way, I'm, that, I'm not that kind of romantic. Leanne was in on it. She picked a ring. I thought she's going to wear it till death do his part. I want her to like it, so that was my strategy. Anyway, so she came and and, um, but we're getting ready to go to the jeweler. And before we go, I, if my memory serves me right, Leanne went out the door first. And my dad, my dad called me back. And uh, sorry, I get ambushed by emotions sometimes. And my dad pulled out his wallet and handed me his credit card. So here you go, take this. Take this and use this. Now, I know it's kind of unromantic that I didn't pay for it myself. <laughs> and I... I don't remember if I ever paid dad back, <laughs> honestly. But the ring that I bought for her 
I paid with money that was given to me. That's the picture here. The affections of Christ Jesus. Where am I going to find these affections? From Jesus. He will give them to you. It's like he gives you his love credit card. He says, here, here, use this. And he gives us the love that we show each other. So it's vital that we walk with Jesus. You can't fake the Christian life. You'll be exposed. You'll be exposed in the differences in the church family. will expose who you really are. And with what love you're loving. With whose love you're loving. The love that we have for each other comes from having vital union with Christ. I think that's what Paul means here. When he says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, I've been thinking about this in the context of COVID-19. I've been thinking about, there's a sign out in the hallway back there that lists out the five pillars of this church, and the fifth pillar is uncommon community. And I've been asking myself this question, what does uncommon community look like in the midst of COVID-19? What does uncommon community look like in a church family where I gather there's more than one view on vaccines? What does uncommon community look like when we feel differently about masks and things that are going on around us? What does that look like? I think it looks like this. I yearn for you with the affections of Christ He's given me affections for you. And that is uncommon community. The world doesn't know anything about that. So it seems to me that in the midst of our differences, we have an opportunity to glorify Christ. The love that he has for us that we show to each other. I should say too, just by way of just, this is just for free. This, this can revolutionize your marriage. Because if the love with which I love my church family comes from Christ, the love with which I love my spouse comes from him too. And that, that's a game changer in marriage because it means when your husband, when your wife fails to love you the way that they should, you're able to take it because you are loved fully and completely in Christ. I'm not saying your spouse shouldn't love you or that you shouldn't address it. You should address the issues. But when your spouse falls short and lets you down, you, you, you are not depending on, your, you loving them does not hinge on their love reciprocating back to you because you have an all-satisfying love from Jesus that enables you to keep loving really in some ways regardless. And it's a wonderful freedom because if you're married to a sinner then they're going to fail you. And the solidity of your commitment will be rock solid, not because you are great at marriage, but because Christ has given you the love to keep on loving. That's just for free. Think of how this could revolutionize a church family if we love with the love of Jesus. And so we acknowledge together that this is exactly what we need, Lord Jesus. We need more of your love. We need to experience and know more of your love. So we get to think about, okay, how do I I get, get this love from Jesus? 
Well, there's, there's lots of true things we could say about that. I mean, first and foremost, you need to know Jesus. You need to put your trust in him. And when you know Jesus, I want you to know this, especially if you're considering becoming a Christian, if you're exploring Christianity, I want you to know this, that um, in knowing Jesus, in turning to him, in committing yourself to him, you enter into a relationship with him where his love for you is the, the most committed, most loyal, most faithful you'll ever encounter. He says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is love. In fact, sometimes I say that when I marry people, I will look at the husband to be and say, husband, Jesus will never leave his bride. And then to the wife, just to finish it off, the church will ever and always be joined to Jesus. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you are in something that is like nothing else. It's secure and sure. And so, in thinking about that kind of love, how do I show that kind of love? I gotta be in a relationship with Jesus. God teaches us to love through his word. He ministers to us through his spirit. He gives us examples of how to love in the saints. There's, how do we cultivate love? Well, there's lots of ways that are true and biblical about how we cultivate love. But Paul shows us here a particular way that I just think is remarkable. And when I realized it, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is so true. Notice the arena in which Paul indicates that Christ works to cultivate love for each other. Notice what he says in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For, so I, yeah, I hold you in my heart. You're precious to me. I love you. What, 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 what's making you say this, Paul? For you are all, notice this in verse 7, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Now you read that at first, you think, oh, like partakers of grace, like we're, we're partners with Paul in grace, like we're saved together. Well, it could mean that, except for I don't think that's what he means, because notice what he says next. The sentence isn't over yet. You were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's like you are partakers, you are partners with me. We have a fellowship together um, in God's grace. So there's a grace that we're, we're partners in. Sorry, I lost my spot there. Both in my imprisonment. So Paul's in jail for what? For preaching the gospel. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The defense of the gospel, it's like it's defending the gospel, making, making a defense for it. Uh, when there's accusations or when the truth is tested or called out, oh, that can't be true, is making a defense of the gospel. And the confirmation of the gospel in terms of the heralding of it, the teaching of it, the proclaiming of the good news. Paul calls this grace. He frequently, I counted about six times, there may be more, but I, I've, I've seen six times in the New Testament where Paul calls his gospel ministry grace. It's a grace from God. It's a grace for us to 
to, to know these truths that Paul is proclaiming. It's a grace in Paul's mind to be called to that ministry. It's a grace from God. Now, here, I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. You're, st- you're still okay? You're still with me? Okay, now just, just see this. This isn't coming out as clear as I thought it would, but here it comes. What Paul sees here, what he's saying here is, you Philippians are partners with me in this grace of ministry. In my imprisonment, you send Epaphroditus to bring me gifts and to encourage me and to help me. You're with me in the ministry. And you're with me too in the work of the ministry, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You've been praying for me. We've served together. We've seen God do things together. You're with me in this. So, so notice the connection now between verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Do you see what he's saying here? That... That partnering in gospel ministry has produced in us a gospel unity. Let me put it to you this way. Christ cultivates our affections through shared ministry. Okay, is that clear? Hey, you can pray for me right now. No, it's all written on the page here. I just can't seem to say it right. The church that works together loves one another. Paul says, I hold you in my heart with the affections of Jesus because we have served Jesus together. Christ cultivates our affections through shared ministry. Again, there's multiple means by which God works. But just think about the background of Philippians. Here's just briefly some of the background. Remember I said the last week the church is roughly 10 years old or so, about the same age as this church is now, give or take two or three years. Well, when it was planted, Paul was part of the planting of this church. He, he, if, if you can read this all yourself. It's in Acts 16, how the church of Philippi was planted, where Paul and his team were planning to go one way, and that door was closed. They're planning to go another way, and the Bible says the Spirit of God blocked them from going. And so, I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe they're thinking about packing up and going home. I don't know. But then, then he had a vision in the night. I assume he means a dream, in which a man from Macedonia... And Acts 16 says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And it seemed to them to be a clear indication that's where the Lord wants us to go. So they go on over to Macedonia. They get there and they, they set sail from Choas and head across the, the sea to, to Greece. They get there and they, they catch word that there's some kind of a prayer meeting going on down the riverside. They go on down the riverside expecting to find a small gathering of Jews. And what they found was they met a, a woman named Lydia, who is a Gentile, but was described as a God-fearer. And Lydia was, she was from Thyatira. She sold uh, high-end fabrics. Okay, she's sort of like the original fabric land person. And... Um, shared the gospel with her. She believed. She was baptized. She was the the first member of the church at Philippi. The church ended up meeting in her house uh, shortly after. They're going to a prayer meeting together again, and they're being harassed by an enslaved young girl who is uh, harassing them, and she's possessed by a demon, and she's she's given them a, a real miserable time, and Paul turns and in Jesus' name casts out the demon. And then, I mean, it just gets crazy. It's just like, it's stranger than fiction. She casts out the demon. Local people who own this woman got furious because now they've lost all their profits because she would tell futures and they would make money on this. And so they brought the apostles in and had them charged and they got flogged and beaten. They got thrown in jail. And then when they're in jail, this is all the church of Philippi. This is how the church started. You think we have a story here in Harvest Niagara. I mean, this is a story. 
Right? So we have Paul and his buddy Silas, right? They're in the jail and they're singing hymns to God. And what happened at night? There's an earthquake. The, the jail doors open. The guard assumes what would, ha- what would happen when any prison doors open. The prisoners all leave, right? So the first miracle was the earthquake. Second miracle was all the prisoners stayed in the jail. Guard assumes all the prisoners have gone, goes to kill himself, and discovers that the prisoners are all there. They share the gospel with him. He gets saved. His household, his family comes to know Jesus. This is how the church started. So think about, so think about affections. How does, how does the Lord cultivate affections? Just like, remember when we began, what we've been through? This is just the start. And I love the end of chapter 16 in Acts when uh, uh, Paul, we had a bit of an interaction with the local authorities who had beaten him and imprisoned him illegally, and they're getting worried because Caesar would be mad at them. And, and uh, anyway, you have to read the whole story yourself. I'm not even telling it very well. But at the end of chapter 16, Paul goes and visits the church before he leaves, and the church is meeting at Lydia's house. And it says, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters. And there's the church of Philippi. It seems to me that Luke probably stayed behind and ministered to them, and they continued on a relationship together. Paul was raising money for the Jerusalem church and the Philippian church who were not wealthy, gave sacrificially. They prayed for Paul. And then when Paul was in prison, we believe likely in Rome. We don't know for sure, for sure, but likely in Rome. What did the Philippians do? They felt so heartbroken, so concerned for Paul. They loved him so much, like we have to do something. And so they're like, you, Epaphroditus, come here. They laid hands on Epaphroditus, saddled him up with all kinds of money because he had to pay to be in jail. If you didn't have money, you didn't eat. Money and probably food and clothing and parchments. And they saddled up Epaphroditus and go and take us to Paul and stay there with him and encourage him and pray with him and let him know that we love him and just, just serve him. Just go and be there with him. And uh, this is all the background of this book. You know, that's why I'm telling you so you understand these, where these affections are coming from. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's affections here. Epaphroditus goes. He nearly dies on the trip. We'll get to that later. And then Paul is sending Epaphroditus back because Epaphroditus is so worried about his church. He's got deep affections for his church. Why? Because they've been through much, so much together. He wants to go back to his church. They send him back. Paul sends him with this letter. This is the background. Now see what Paul is saying, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you on my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. We're partners in this grace ministry both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Shakespeare's play, Henry V, the king gives a rousing speech to his troops before battle. And the most famous line out of it is he looks at his troops and he says, we few, we happy few, for he today who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. The world understands, you know, when you go through some hard experiences together, it binds you together. You got something you share in common. The church knows this infinitely better because we know something of the power and the presence and the might of Jesus as we serve together. The point that I'm making to you, loved ones, is that gospel ministry produces gospel unity. This is where Jesus works. As we serve together, he cultivates love for each other. And so, 
I want to give to you these three pastoral exhortations in applying this and taking this with you. I'm actually going to reverse them in order, so you can just show, show them all. First of all, engage. Engage yourself in serving Christ. If, if you perceive that your love for your church family is sketchy, you know what I mean? Like, not sure that I can say I have deep affections from Jesus for my church family, then I think a great way for you to allow Jesus to be at work, to, to invite the Lord to be at work in your heart, to cultivate your affections for your church family is by serving the Lord with your brothers and sisters. And I say that not just because an idea I had when I woke up one morning this week, but because I've been reading it in my Bible all week. That we see the, the place, a place in which Christ works to cultivate our affections for each other is in the ministry as we serve together. As we keep the main thing the main thing, together the Lord will be at work refreshing and deepening our love for each other because I think, I think what happens is we're seeking the Lord together. We're not looking at our issues and our differences, we're looking at Jesus. And our concern is not so much upon where we differ, but on lost souls and the edification of the saints. And we, we're looking to him and we're trusting in him. We're serving him together. And we see him working and we experience his love in us and from each other. And that just does something for us. And yeah, we have differences, but we, our unity is not based on us agreeing on everything. It's based on Jesus and his love for us. Engage. Engage yourself in serving Christ, knowing the gospel ministry produces gospel unity. Second, sorry guys on the screen, I'm just messing this all around in you, but anyway. Encourage, encourage. I almost missed this, but it's like the most obvious application in the world. See, you probably saw it already, but it's so obvious, I almost missed it. Paul here is directly encouraging these believers. Encourage, understand the importance of giving and receiving encouragement in its many expressions. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the Philippian believers to be reading, to be hearing these words read to them about Paul's affections for them and the affirmation about what he sees God doing in them and the confidence that he has about them? Loved ones, where would you be if it wasn't for the encouragement, the affirmation of other believers? I think to myself, where would I be without the ministry of other believers encouraging me? I don't mean like just, you know, just building me up for the sake of building me up. Yeah, I need correction. For sure I need correction. But I need encouragement too, and you do as well. That's what Paul's doing here. And it's part of showing this love that we have from Jesus. So engage, encourage, finally examine. Examine. Examine yourself to see if you love your brothers and sisters. Do you love your brothers and sisters? You say, I'm not sure, Ross. Well, maybe you need to seek the Lord on that. Maybe you need to get engaged in ministry. Maybe you need to turn down the volume on some voices in your life. I'll just make this observation, and then I'm done. My observation is that there are some voices right now that are widely available who um, are teachers, preachers, Who's the fruit of their work is, seems to create suspicion and division and resentment more than it does foster love 
the love of Jesus for one another. There are some whose ministries right now, in my judgment, are fracturing relationships between believers. There are so-called pastors who presume themselves to be the final arbiters of things that are disputable and are making comments that are unkind, sarcastic, and demeaning of other Christians. And I think that it lacks humility, and it is directly contrary to what we're seeing called for here in this text. And I think that some of us need to turn down those voices a little bit. I'm not saying don't hear criticism or hear a different view. I think we need to hear different views. Sometimes criticism is exactly what we need. But there's a way of going about it that's truly loving. And there's a way of going about it that's demeaning and divisive. And I know I'm still the new guy, but I really feel this strongly. That there are some voices that frankly we need to stop listening to. Because it's not helping you apply this text from the Spirit of God to your life. Now let me just, with you now, take this. Just take this to the Lord in prayer. That may be a bit of a heavy word for some of you. And some of you, please don't assume. Oh, I bet you I know who he's talking about. Don't assume. Don't assume. You may be wrong. But let's just take this to the Lord. And as I do, the team's going to come and they're going to lead us in worship together. Let's just, let's just take this to the Lord. Because it's serious stuff and it's weighty. Let's pray. Lord, we've seen what your word says. And you know that I've tried and we're trying together to understand what it is that you want us to do in light of this. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a church that is serious about love. And that you would produce in us, Lord Jesus, the very affections that you have for us, that you would produce that in us and through us for each other. Lord, give us discernment about who we should listen to. And give to us, Lord, patience. Give to us from you long-suffering. Give us from you, Lord, love that bears with one another, Lord, please. There's too much at stake here, Lord, and there's too much flesh in me and in my brothers and sisters. There's, our flesh is able to do terrible damage. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do this work in us, Lord, and set us on mission together. As we're on mission, Lord, cultivate love that Christ would be glorified and that the church would be edified and that souls would be saved, Lord God, please. Lord, we pray in, in this season that this wouldn't be our toughest time, but it'd be our finest time of trusting you, of seeking you, of humbling ourselves before you and reflecting to one another the love that you've poured out into our lives. God, help us. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.